Judy, thanks very much. Um, please keep that passage open in front of you, and should we pray together? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today. Um, we thank you that you are a God who speaks through your word, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would be writing the truths of your word onto our hearts as individuals and as a church. For Jesus' sake, amen. So there was a cancelled railway, um, replacements for A-levels, and a smoking ban. Uh, three uh, headlines from the Prime Minister's big speech this week. Uh, maybe his vision inspires you. Maybe it doesn't. It probably doesn't matter very much. What about God's vision? What is God's plan for the world? What is his vision for the church? Today is a day when we try to think about that for our church. Um, what might God want us to achieve as a church over the year ahead? What does he want us to uh, prioritize? How should our kind of little plans fit with his really big plan? What do we do or not do to get there? What obstacles lie ahead? I guess there are lots of things we could think about. But uh, for the next 15, 20 minutes, I just want us to try to get right back to basics. What is the most significant thing God is doing in the world today? Whatever it is, that is the thing, don't you think, that we should be putting at the heart of our vision as a church, which is why I've taken us to this wonderful uh, short little passage from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Uh, the Corinthian church was uh, a problem church in lots of different ways. Uh, top of the list was that they seriously undervalued the Apostle Paul and his ministry. They'd been sucked in by these people uh, called super apostles. Uh, and they were thinking to themselves, why should we bother listening to Paul's preaching? Why should we have a failing ministry like Paul? Maybe we should go with the stronger and more impressive competition, the super apostles. And so Paul writes a large chunk of this letter to explain to them why he's doing what he's doing, to convince them that apostolic gospel ministry is the real deal. It has to be at the heart of their church life because it's the heart of what's happening in the world. And so it should be the heart of our church life as well. This little passage, these six verses, are part of a much longer argument from chapter 2 through to chapter 7 to convince us about that. But before we dive into just these six verses, let me just say a few words to anyone here this morning who wouldn't yet call themselves a Christian. Maybe you're here this morning, you're still looking in from the outside, you're not convinced yet about the Christian faith. Well, this passage, it doesn't just show us what churches should do, it shows us the amazing things that God has done for us. It is a brilliant window into Jesus Christ and why it is worth giving him your life if you haven't done that yet. So if that's you, I hope you find this helpful. So uh, three lessons. The first lesson is, is how we do gospel ministry. The second lesson is why does gospel ministry often not work? And the third, um, the third lesson is, is why we do it in the first place. So how we do it, why it often doesn't work, why we do it in the first place. First of all, the practice of gospel ministry, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. So, so far in the letter, Paul has described his ministry as a work of the Spirit, 
of transformation, of life, of righteousness, of eternal glory. And here he describes it as something he has received through God's mercy. In other words, it is a gift given to him and the other apostles from God. They don't receive, they don't deserve it. It's been given to them. And so he says, we don't give up. We don't lose heart. Because it's not just high-speed railways that cost a lot. Gospel ministry costs a lot too. Friends or family reject an invitation to come to church. Or maybe they ridicule what we believe. There's the disappointment we experience as a church when something we try doesn't work. Maybe again. There's the exhaustion of what sometimes feels just like it's just slow going. There's frustration with suboptimal circumstances or suboptimal resources or suboptimal people like you and me. But if, God, if gospel ministry is God's gift for us, then we, we don't give up. We keep going. We don't lose heart. Whatever costs lie ahead, we don't give up. But not giving up is not the only thing we don't do as we practice gospel ministry. So verse 2. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. Paul's opponents accuse him of being a charlatan. He's a trickster. He manipulates God's word in order to manipulate people to get stuff out of it for himself, probably money. Paul says, that is just a pack of lies. Look at how I actually practice gospel ministry. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I did do this. I told the truth. Earlier on in the letter, he describes it like this, chapter 1, verse 19. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, preached among you. That is what I did, said Paul. I told you the truth about Jesus. The whole idea of truth is not a very popular idea, is it, nowadays? Our culture quite likes the idea of my truth or your truth, but it, it recoils from the idea of the truth and claims to, um, share, claims to know it or attempts to share it are often dismissed as narrow-minded or intolerant or extremist. As Christians, we don't need to be nervous about the whole idea of the truth because it didn't originate with us. It starts with God. God tells it to us. Maybe you find personal evangelism difficult, sharing your faith with someone else difficult. It can be daunting, but just remember that at the heart of it, it is one person who knows truth about Jesus telling somebody else that truth, someone else who doesn't know much about that truth. We don't need to know all the truth, we just need to know some of it, just more than the other person we're trying to speak to. And the courage to share it, maybe in our regular life, or maybe by inviting them somewhere else where they can hear it, like at church. Because plain, honest, truth-telling about Jesus, that is how we practice gospel ministry together as well. It's not just personal evangelism, it's what we do as a church. Maybe it's preaching, or music, or kids' work, or the essentials course, or home groups. The heart of what we do as a church is setting forth the truth plainly. We don't do this, we don't do this, we don't do this, we don't give up. We do tell the truth. But will it work? See, Paul finishes verse 2, doesn't he? He's sounding pretty confident. He's saying, look, I believe that my preaching is going to impact other people. They are going to, to see that I'm a truth teller, and they're going to respond to that truth. 
But what about when it doesn't seem to work? What about when the preaching falls on deaf ears, when gospel ministry feels like a waste of time? Second, the problem of gospel ministry. Verses three and four. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So you imagine the questions in the background. Okay, Paul, why is your ministry such a failure? Why are so few people becoming Christians? Why don't you copy the super apostles' techniques? They're having more success than you. Just telling the truth won't get you anywhere. You've got to do more than that. Well, Paul's answer is to point the readers and you and me to the battle, the spiritual battle raging behind the scenes. He says, a spiritual blindfold has been wrapped around human hearts. There are people who are heading for eternal death and condemnation and hell. That is the people who are perishing and they are blind to the truth about Jesus. That is why they reject him. But why are they blind? Why can't they see? Who is responsible for the spiritual blindfold? Verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So I had to replace one of the Velux blinds in our bedroom this week. Um, The old one wasn't shutting properly, so the light was coming in and waking us up too early. I probably should have done it earlier in the summer, to be honest. Um, Sometimes we need to keep light out. Sometimes we need to let light in. The devil is an absolute expert at keeping light out of people's hearts, spiritual light. Jesus is the perfect image of God. He is the one who represents the invisible creator. And Satan blinds us to that fact with his lies. Jesus, he's just a good teacher. Listen to him if you like, but there are plenty of other good teachers, old and modern, that you could listen to. Jesus, yeah, he's a prophet, but he's not more than a prophet. He's not the son of God. Don't bother listening to him. He's not God's last word. Jesus, you know, he wasn't even a historical figure. He's just a swear word. The devil lies, and he draws a blind, a perfect blind over human hearts. He doesn't even allow a sliver of Christ's glorious light to penetrate the darkness. The gospel preaches light, but naturally it is received by blind human hearts. Many of us here this morning will be able to remember the time when that was true for for us, won't we? Jesus Christ was nothing. He was an irrelevance. He was just a swear word. He didn't come into our thoughts. He had no place in our hearts. That is the spiritual reality all around us. Do you know we live in communities of blind people? We go to work with blind people. We socialize with blind people. We love blind people. We hate blind people. It's as if every person that we pass on the street is walking along with the spiritual equivalent of a white stick, stumbling around in the darkness, blinded, by Satan. That is the world we live in. The great enemy of the human race has shut the eyes of our families and our friends and our foes so that they cannot see the very thing they were created to see, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's the problem of gospel ministry. We are up against an enemy 
that we are no match for. He's far too powerful for us. Maybe we'd be less surprised that gospel ministry often doesn't seem to succeed if we grasp this spiritual reality. Maybe we'd be less inclined to give up. Maybe we'd be less tempted to change our methods and try something else or make something else the big vision. Maybe we'd be more inclined to pray if we saw this reality. Let me just say one thing about that. Prayer is one thing that, although we often can't see it, it is something that, wouldn't that be wonderful if that became more and more a part of our church life together over the next 12 months? You know, soldiers on the front line, they stand no chance of success unless they're in constant contact with their commander. He sees the battlefield from afar, and they need to call on him for reinforcements or to receive his guidance in matters of tactics and strategy, and they need his inspiration for the overall campaign. You and I, we're God's soldiers. We're in a spiritual war, and we can't fight it without prayer. Let me encourage you to make prayer more of a priority in your life over this, this coming year. We've tried to do that by putting that prayer mate app out there. Um, so on the back of every service sheet and the back of the thought of the prayer meeting, one prayer point each day for the life of the church. Let me encourage you to try to make the church prayer meeting a priority. We had eight in September. We had 18 last month. It was so encouraging. This month, sorry. I would love to see 30 at the prayer meeting. 30 soldiers calling on their commander once a month to pray. Why don't we see if we can do that? Spiritual blindness, that is the problem, the big problem of gospel ministry. But it's not insurmountable. It wasn't insurmountable in Corinth. It won't be insurmountable today. Do you know, God is going to win the battle. But how is he going to win the battle? And to what end is he going to win the battle? Thirdly, the point of gospel ministry. The point of gospel ministry. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So what is the truth that we set forth plainly? He tells us here, Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus, the crucified son of a carpenter, is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's God's King. And he's Lord because God raised him from the dead, and he reigns today as the Son of God forever. He's the King. That is the truth at the heart of gospel ministry. Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus is Saviour. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Saviour because he died for our sins on the cross, as it had been prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus is Lord because he rules the world. Jesus is Saviour because he forgives us and restores us into right relationship with God. Jesus is Lord to rule our lives, to transform us into his glorious image, to return again to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is Saviour. Jesus is Lord. And do you know what the point of gospel ministry is? The point is to introduce people to him. It's as Paul says in the verse. Look at verse 5 again. Not ourselves, ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We don't do gospel ministry to get applause or attention for ourselves, but for Jesus. So let me just describe our church for a moment. There is an extensive program of events. There are slick Sunday services with never any problems. There is a beautiful church building. There's a fancy website. There are impressive people. There are engaging sermons. There's high quality music. Well, maybe we've got some or some not of those things. It doesn't matter. 
None of those things are the ultimate point. Paul says, not ourselves. Ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Everything we do, whether it's good or not, it's just a servant. It's a tool in the hand of the master. And it's the same in our personal witness with our friends or family or colleagues. When we share our stories with other people, let's just be careful to make sure the point of the story is Jesus Christ. It's easy, isn't it, I think, to make it about me and how my life changed. Or it becomes an argument about what I believe versus what you believe. And talking about those things is important. You might be really surprised to discover that your friends actually do want to know why following Jesus or how following Jesus has changed your life. People may be much more interested to find out what you believe than you might expect. But our conversations need to keep on coming back to Jesus. You see, they already know you and me, but it's him we really want them to meet. Wouldn't it be wonderful if um, this point of gospel ministry became more and more and more what we do over the year ahead? Just thank God for, for what, it, what there already is here of that, but pray for more and more Seek to have more and more. A church setting forth the truth of Jesus Christ as Lord as plainly as we can. A church full of different people, making the most of opportunities in all the different parts of their life. A church full of people who pray for each other's evangelism. A church where we make the most of events like the Tim Farron evening or the Essentials course. A church where we befriend each other's non-Christian friends. A church where we tell each other our own stories so that we can encourage each other to keep sharing those stories. And wouldn't it be wonderful if Sundays were the places where we did that more and more together? I've reflected over the last few weeks, it's been so good to see lots of visitors. If you are a visitor here this morning, you're so welcome. Hope to meet you later. But not just people we've never met and who wonderfully walk into this building. But I've seen family invited and friends invited and acquaintances invited. Let's do that more and more. And, and let's do that remembering that when we gather together, it's not ourselves, but ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. But what about the problem? Do you remember the problem? Satan has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Can gospel ministry really overcome his opposition? Yes, it can. Because ultimately, it's not ourselves, it's what God does. Verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So God, he made light shine, didn't he, out of darkness at the very beginning. God shone light into Paul's dark heart as he headed towards Damascus. And Paul went from being blind to Jesus to seeing Jesus for who he really is. And you know, God shines light into human hearts when people hear the gospel. It is the only thing that can penetrate the darkness that the devil wraps around the human heart and mind. If you're a Christian here this morning, God has done this for you. God has done something as extraordinary and as powerful as when he said at the very beginning of everything, 
let there be light. Do you realize that? If you love Jesus, if you are living for Jesus, God has said, let there be light in your heart. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Praise the Lord. He has done something as extraordinary as when Paul, Saul, was going to Damascus to to murder Christians and he blinded him on the road with light and he said, you need to see Jesus and Paul saw Jesus. God has done that in your life. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. He has taken the most awe-inspiring light, the marvellous, magnificent message about Jesus and he has shone it with laser-like precision into the darkness of your natural soul. He has said to Satan, get out of that person's life. This person needs to see Jesus. God has done that for you. What a wonderful thing. Yes, you don't see all the truth, but you see enough. And you know what the point of gospel ministry is? The point is that God gets to do that more and more and more. And those people that you and I love, God gets to say to them, Satan, get out of that person's life. Stop blinding them. They need to see Jesus. Let there be light. It doesn't just shine when someone like me preaches a sermon. It shines when we share our faith with each other. Awkwardly, imperfectly, nervously. But it's God's light, not our light. Do you know, these lights in this building drive me absolutely insane. I'm met, not one of them has blown so far this morning. Maybe there's a, I don't know. God's light doesn't fail. Gospel ministry never loses its illuminating power as long as proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord remains at the heart of it. It opened my spiritual eyes. It opened your spiritual eyes. Don't you think it can open the eyes of those you know and love? And if you're here today this morning, you're thinking, I'm not a Christian yet. In my real honest moments, I know I don't understand everything. I'm still confused. I'm still trying to figure stuff out. Well, God can open your eyes. All you need to do is ask him. I guess there are all sorts of things that may or may not happen over the year ahead as a church. We may expect some of them. Others may be completely unexpected. Some may look uh, clear. Some may look very blurry, kind of around the edges. But it's good to know we can be sure of the big picture. You don't need to build a new railway to get on board with what God is already doing. What he's doing in Corinth is what he's doing today. God's vision is driven by gospel ministry. We've seen the practice, we don't lose heart, but instead we persistently, honestly, faithfully tell the truth about Jesus. We've seen the problem. It's the diabolical opposition of Satan. We're in a spiritual battle, so don't be surprised when it's hard. Don't change your tactics. Keep praying. And we've seen the point. God is shining his light into the hearts of blind people, men and women, boys and girls. That is the most significant thing that God has ever done in the world, and it's the most significant thing he'll ever continue to do through you and me. Nothing is going to derail that plan. So may our vision for the year ahead be more and more the vision of what God's doing. I hope that's inspiring. Should we bow our heads and pray?
Dear Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed with wonder that you, the God who said at the very beginning of all things, let there be light, should also say the same thing to our hearts. That you'd open our blind eyes to the glory and magnificence of Jesus. We're so thankful. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us as a church to be involved in that work, just individually, in our, with our friends and colleagues and family and the people we meet, but also here together, Sunday by Sunday, week by week, seeking to share the light of the glory of Christ to our community. And please, Lord, would it not be ourselves, but ourselves as the servants of others, for Jesus' sake. Amen.